It is funny joining you all from your homes. I can imagine Seth's and my faces coming in on your televisions and computers, on your phones and on your tablets. Maybe there's an unfinished puzzle over on your coffee table. Maybe there's a scattering of toys strewn across the room or a bowl left over from last night's ice cream. Maybe there's the laundry that needs to be folded on the couch. Or maybe what I'm really imagining is just my home. <laughs> Even though we aren't there with you in person, in some strange way, in this physically removed moment in time, it feels more intimate. So often we see each other on Sunday mornings, hair done and church attire on, whatever that means for each of us. Our church lives seemingly separate from the rest of our lives. But that is not the case right now. All of our lives have molded together. Clear boundaries and borders breaking down. Work, family, school, play, home, church have all melted and meshed into one weird, sticky stew. And while for many folks this has created complications, for Sundays at least, I have been looking forward to the joy, or to finding joy, in this weird time apart. I like to imagine you all. I like to imagine you all comfortable in pajamas and slippers. I like to imagine you in robes with mugs filled with hot coffee. I like to imagine church also being a place for couch snuggles, feet up, furry friends joining in. Maybe you find yourself, as Dan and I did a couple weeks ago, worshiping with a plate full of pancakes, grabbing physical food as you settle into an hour where we hopefully also provide spiritual food. Breakfast, after all, is the most important meal of the day. Robert A. Henlon was given the title the Dean of Science Fiction Novels. And with Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke, Henlon was one of the big three fathers of this genre. He was not only a fiction writer, he was an aeronautical engineer. And for him, as with many in his genre, science fiction was a lens through which to explore humanity's and society's evolution around issues of race and religion, politics and sex. I cannot help but wonder what this legend would say about this moment in time. Reality seeming to reflect more a science fiction novel than what we've been used to. In his book Friday, one of Henlon characters makes this claim. They say, one should not attend even the end of the world without a good breakfast. And while there are days where we feel like this might be the end of the world, we feel Jesus's wisdom echoed in these words and Henlon's too. See, today in our scripture, we find the resurrected Christ not rushing to solve the world's problems, but instead taking the time to sit and to have breakfast. It is, after all, the most important meal of the day. A reading from the Gospel of John. 
After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, do you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and there you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there, with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. When Dan and I were dating in divinity school, I remember him hemming and hawing. It's not a big deal, he claimed. It's just a day. And for some people, that might be true. Birthdays are just days on calendars that tick by. Some folks don't desire attention or recognition of the day of their coming into the world. They prefer to celebrate in quiet joy. But I knew this was not true for Dan. Despite the fact he lived very simply, with a mattress on the ground and a folding table that functioned as a desk, and his clothes piled neatly on the floor of his closet because he did not have a dresser. I love that uh, when Dan moved into his apartment, his landlord asked him if he was some sort of ascetic monk, someone who disavowed material possessions. Really, Dan was just a poor graduate student. I knew the truth, though. Though he'd never admit it or make a big deal about it on his own behalf, but my Dan secretly loves the finer things in life. 
and he loves a good celebration. So early on the morning of March 27th, I found myself in his apartment's kitchen, whipping together funfetti birthday pancakes, candles and all. Now, when I told Dan I was sharing this story with you all, he insisted that the world does not universally know about funfetti, about its super sweetness and identifiable sprinkles. It's traditionally used in cakes, but also can be found in cookies and brownies nowadays, even ice cream. But that day, as Dan finished his breakfast in bed, he turned to me and slightly sheepishly he asked, would you mind if we made some eggs now? <laughs> Initially, I was confused, and if I'm honest, I teetered on being offended, and then I laughed. We could feel our bodies almost vibrating with the amount of sugar that we had, all, we had consumed all before 8 a.m. Dan was right. We needed something more. So often in life, we try to fill ourselves up with the sugary and the unsubstantial. Not that the indulgent treat wasn't also called for then, and not that there aren't moments in our lives where we are called to celebrate and indulge, but sometimes those things aren't enough. Those funfetti pancakes could not have sustained us for the day ahead. We needed the real. We needed what truly feeds and fuels and nourishes us. And we needed to take the time as Jesus encourages and reminds us here in this passage to fill ourselves. After all, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. These days, I find myself eating like a hobbit. Maybe it's this weird quarantine life. Maybe it's the fact that this baby in my belly is taking up more and more room my stomach existing somewhere closer to my lungs than what I'm traditionally used to. I find myself resonating with the story of the very hungry caterpillar. I wake around three o'clock every morning like a monk, but instead of shuffling off to prayer, I break my nighttime fast with a bowl of cereal. I toss and turn, trying to find sleep again, and then I begin my day at 6.30 putting water on to boil for a blessed cup of coffee, a bowl of yogurt and fruit, and a walk for me and our dog, Connie. I sit down to work, and around 9.30, it's time for thirdsies, some toast, banana bread, and my day continues like this, activity interrupted by gnawing hunger. Now, I've always been a big breakfast eater, but even for me, this feels ridiculous. Our reading today comes from John 21. And contextualizing this reading in the larger story of the gospel, we find that Christ has done three main things since the resurrection. Mary has encountered the living Christ. She mistakes him for a gardener when he asks her, woman, why are you weeping? And she says, I cannot find where they have taken my Lord. And he says to her, Mary and she knows it is him. Second, Jesus appears to his disciples, those who he finds huddled in fear in the upper room, and what does he say to them but peace be unto you? And then third, Jesus meets with Thomas, 
the one disciple who wasn't at the second encounter. And he invites Thomas to see and to touch. And now in John 21, we find the disciples needing to go out into the sea. And I actually have to confess that I totally forgot the part about the naked man when I was writing this sermon. So we're not going to cover that at all, but I'm sure someone in another sermon would gladly cover why one of the disciples was naked in this boat. But that's a story for another day. I cannot help but wonder why they went out to sea. Maybe they went to sea because it was familiar. After all, the sea was where their lives had been centered before Jesus had called them to drop their nets and follow him. I wonder if they went out to the sea for sheer physical need. The disciples didn't have a lot of economic resources at their disposal, and they needed food. I wonder if the disciples went out to sea because while their lives before Christ were tied to water and the economy, their lives with Jesus also involved the sea. Walking on water, Jesus calling them to be fishers of humanity. I wonder if they went out to the sea because it reminded them of him, of Jesus, and they so needed this comfort amidst the uncertainty. Regardless, though, of their why, it is where Christ finds them. And when they pull empty net after empty net, Jesus from the shore calls out to them, inviting them to try again. And he gives them direction. And their nets become full beyond belief. In this moment, when they are filled, the disciples recognize Jesus for who he is. The one who doesn't provide a little, but who provides abundantly. The one who feeds them and sustains them. In this instance, quite literally. And the one who feeds and sustains them spiritually for all that lies ahead. I wonder if in this simple beachside meal, the disciples were reminded of another meal of thousands fed where the same foods they were enjoying this morning, bread and fish, were taken and divided and shared among all. And in that moment, as they were sharing that breakfast, I wonder if they even knew the fast that they were keeping. Breakfast, in my family growing up, was always a time where we connected. My farm-raised father would rise with the sun, making eggs and meats and biscuits that would awaken our family from our slumber. And while many families gather around dinner tables, until my brother was in high school, we gathered most mornings for breakfast, preparing and fueling our bodies for the days ahead and preparing our hearts to in the gift of love that was poured out at that table along with a glass of orange juice. Today in our scripture, we find our disciples lost, unsure and empty. After Jesus' death, I can't imagine their anxiety about what lay ahead. The danger they potentially felt for their lives as followers of this rebel Jesus. I can't imagine 
I cannot imagine their personal heartache at the death of a dear friend. I can't imagine their directionlessness. Having left all they knew, their communities, their families, their jobs, an especially rare occurrence at this moment in history, when sons were known by the occupations of their father and their father before them. The reality is so different from our current transient society. But in our reading for today, we find these disciples here, empty, depleted, and discouraged, and demoralized. And what does the risen Christ do? He doesn't encourage them to go off right away to do the work of the church, to preach and teach and perform miracles. Jesus himself doesn't give in to the anxiety that his time is limited, that as the resurrected one, he won't be here on earth forever, and that there's so much to do and so little time. Jesus doesn't give in to that nagging voice. But Jesus takes time he takes the time to tend and to care for himself and for the disciples. Jesus feeds them. He cares for their physical needs and their emotional ones too. He fills them again. After all, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It's interesting, the word breakfast itself is only mentioned twice in the whole Bible. And those two times are found here within this 21st chapter of John. And the Greek word apiston is used to describe this meal. But the concept of breakfast is one that has evolved over time. We find breakfast in ancient Greek works. Both Homer's Iliad and Odyssey have reference to this meal. And there are records of Roman soldiers eating a polenta-like porridge in the morning. And in ancient Egypt, there are records of breakfast that consisted of bread and beer and onions. <laughs> Talk about really bad morning breath to start your day. For a large part of history, breakfast was only observed by working folks, those who needed to eat and to drink to sustain themselves for the hard physical labor that lay ahead. The eating of breakfast then became a demarcator of class. Working people were the ones who ate breakfast. And here in our scripture, we see Jesus inviting his followers to breakfast, knowing that there is hard work ahead to be done, but also knowing the importance of taking the time of filling ourselves physically and spiritually, not with the funfetti of this world, those instant gratifications and feel-good fixes. Jesus offers and calls us to something so much more substantial, something that will nourish us and sustain us for the work ahead. So in worship, let us breakfast together. Maybe literally for some of you at home, and I pray spiritually for all of us. Let us fill ourselves, for there is work to do. And after all, one should not attend even the end of the world without a good breakfast. Amen.